0: Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The
1: Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa,
2: here's Curtis Sliwa. With all the hours I do at WABC, making the acronym Always Broadcasting Curtis, this one hour, every Sunday night, 11 or 12, is the most listened to, according to the analytics. We get the most calls. And there's the most uh, feedback and follow-up of people who want more information. And so it's uh, created a pathway to a half-hour video we do each and every week, exclusive to WABC. It's uploaded on the WABC YouTube uh, channel. You just type in Red Apple Media. That's Red Apple Media. And you can see eight separate episodes that have been uploaded. And we just did a new uh, episode this uh, past uh, Wednesday which had to do with the birth of six kittens delivered by Whiskers, a rescue cat of my wife, Nancy, who performed as the midwife. So you see the videos, you see the photos. Uh, You also see another case of a cat in Brooklyn that rescued her kittens out of a fire uh, in an old warehouse, went back uh, time and time again to rescue the kittens, had horrible injuries, eventually passed away, but the kittens are alive. Uh, So, Nancy, those were great stories that you spoke about in the video form. I would suggest people share the video and also go to the website for all the uh, past uh, WABC shows on the podcast at WABCradio.com and share it with your family, friends, and others. But uh, how's Whiskers doing and how much midwifing do you have to do now?
3: So, you know, so Whiskers is doing, um, you know, great so far, and, you know, thankfully she has, you know, really taken the role of, um, you know, being a mother very seriously, so she's, you know, very mindful of them, so I'm just making sure that she gets a lot of extra attention and, you know, obviously keeping an eye on them, making sure that they're doing okay, but, you know, they're adorable, so trying to leave them alone a little bit and, You know, just uh, let them sort of be with her for for a bit of time.
2: You know, uh, when we were filming in our studio, uh, Margot Katsimatidis was bringing some uh, visitors around, showing them the facilities, and saw the pictures of whiskers and uh, her litter. And it reminded her of John Katsimatidis' first cat that he had in his first store, that I believe uh, both Margot and John said eventually had a hundred and sixty-eight progeny.
3: That's a lot of progeny.
2: Yeah, uh, that's a lot of cats and a lot of gristedes and dagostinos and other stores that he had to keep yeah. the the rats, the mice, and the rodents at bay.
3: Oh, yeah. So they had all the stores patrolled.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, at that time, remember, before the health department cracked down and started issuing fines if you had a uh, a cat. Uh, in your premises, you know where you were dealing with food. That was the common way—the bodega cat. And uh, but whiskers in good shape, great
3: shape, great shape.
2: And uh, just describe the kittens because uh, eventually we're going to have to ask our listeners for names. There are six of them, and possibly to adopt them. Although your your um, uh, method is to try to adopt them in pairs, correct?
3: Yeah, I, I always think that um having them go in pairs, you know, makes a lot more sense, especially when they grow up together at such a young age. So, you know, they are uh let's see, so I would say maybe about two, three days ago, uh, they slowly started opening like maybe one eye. Um, there's a few of them who have uh both like little eyes starting to open. Um, other ones have maybe like one eye open. But yesterday the first ear open so you know the, like when they're born um like their ears are very crunched to their head so once the ears start to like flap open so the first little ear flapped open
2: and you're making room in the apartment you were telling me you're moving things around cuz once those uh, little kitties start playing the adult cats are going to want to run for the hills right
3: yeah actually the, the cats took a vote and they've decided that you might need to be evicted to <laughs> make room <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I, I like the way you described it, that the older cats would want to be at a higher level peering over at the little, the little kitties would be running amok.
3: Yeah, because so so the first like order of business is just to make sure that the height for all of the cats is secured. Because, you know, I, I have spaces, but, you know, I want to create just a few more additional areas because, you know, given how tiny they are, there's a whole period of time where... You know they can't see that far ahead of them. They won't be able to run that much. Um, you can contain them in a very small area because they don't know what's going on beyond a wall. But around like uh, five weeks, that's when they realize that they can get anywhere and everywhere. So I'm just planning for like that five week mark.
2: Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. One eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams this past week signed legislation that had been passed by our city council to ban, I believe, the sale of guinea pigs.
3: Yeah. So um, um, the city council had, um, you know, uh, approved this and now the mayor's uh, expected to sign it. And, you know, more or less what it's saying is that they are trying to ban the sale of guinea pigs. And this was precipitated. Because the animal shelters, the city-run animal shelters, Animal Care and Control, last year they took in um, 600 guinea pig animal surrenders, which is the highest that they've had, uh, you know, apparently in many, many years. And, you know, for so again, like for whatever reason, they're not really attributing a cause to it. They're not saying why, aside from, you know, maybe people not being able to afford them. But based upon that, uh, you know, this is – they want to ban the sale of them. So now, again, I'm not really sure if there's a a logical connection. I'm not sure how many it's going to save based on this. I mean, if you wanted to utilize that logic, you could apply that for cats and dogs that are surrendered. I mean, there's so many that are surrendered there. So, I mean, I think what it's trying to do, it's trying to get at a, you know, sort of a responsible um, either pet ownership or – oh, there's too many of this particular animal, but for whatever reason they're singling in on guinea pigs, whether or not that makes any sense. But, you know, curiously, one of the things they pointed out was that there's so few uh, veterinarians who have the ability to spay and neuter guinea pigs, which is one of the reasons they're saying, uh, you know, potentially the population can get out of control. But I would think that would be a great um, invitation and opportunity to say maybe we should start developing um, some of those courses, maybe within even like the school, like vocational trainings. You can have uh, vet techs, vet assistants. I mean, clearly there's a need. There's a lot of animals. There's a lot of people who are bringing their animals to vets, and there's a shortage of that in terms of careers. So I think maybe that's a more logical thing to do.
2: Okay. And uh, the big performance last night at the Inner Circle – This is the once-a-year gathering. The 100th anniversary was last night at the Ziegfeld Theater. It's the opportunity for members of the 4th Estate uh, City Hall. uh, They call it Room 9, where all the reporters gather up, to uh, put on performances that roast the mayor. They they, uh, do parodies about everything that is synonymous with the mayor. They do it on some state issues, some national issues. But it was really meant meant to roast uh, whoever is the mayor. Uh, I remember seeing David Dinkins sitting there. Uh, Rudy Giuliani not just sat there. He actually dressed in drag for one of the scenes. Uh, Bloomberg was always there. Um, Last night, believe it or not, Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope was there. But he was always there when he was mayor. And, boy, did they drop napalm on him, and rightfully so, but Eric Adams, he never shows up until it's his turn to respond. They give the mayor is giving an opportunity to respond with a number of uh, thespians uh, who then roast uh, the media. And the theme of the event was Rat Man because of his inability to deal with the growing rat menace in New York City. And uh, people can actually go to uh, the WABC webpage and uh, one of our Cracker Jack members of our staff, I think it was Chad Lopez, who actually filmed it, or it may have been Emily. I I forget which one, uh, but they posted it, and it has to do with that uh, segment involving me and the cats outside of Eric Adams' house on Lafayette Avenue. Very well done. It was in a musical scene, but I think the fact that the mayor is now going to have to deliver on rats because that's become his Achilles heel in his year-and-a-half administration.
3: I mean, yeah, he certainly has made it. I mean, he's he's blown it very out of proportion at this point. And, I mean, he he's promised deliverables that are just impossible.
2: Yeah, and I think he has completely ignored the use of feral cats. It could be an excellent tool. Uh, also, we saw with uh, Flacco the uh, owl in Central Park who still is loose and is dining on rats and mice at night, that's how Placo survives, that that is one of the remedies, and yet he won't even consider that, even though this skit, this parody, uh, had the cats, is taking the lead in preventing the growth uh, and the spread of
3: rats. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly some weird line that's been drawn in the sand. Um, I don't know why, but it's Such a logical approach.
2: So, if anybody's interested in seeing the parody done, very well done by the reporters, uh, the men and women, they were dressed in cat garb, and one was actually dressed in a red beret and red sateen jacket. A woman who was uh, playing my role, I guess, in this uh, day and age of non binary and transgender, and uh, no complaints from me. Uh, She did an outstanding job. Let's go to this story, which was a bit shocking. A dog got revived with narcon?
3: Uh, yes. So this happened in Pennsylvania and uh there was a you know, a call to nine one one, an individual had O D'd and when the paramedics had uh shown up, the people who were at the premise with this person explained what had happened and apparently you know, this individual was unconscious, but so was the dog. And they also explained that it was not uncommon for this individual to share the drugs they had with the dog. So right away, uh, this dog, like a good Samaritan uh, that they dubbed, had taken this dog to uh, the veterinarian. And as soon as they found out what uh, had gone on with this person... The veterinarian had administered the Narcan, and it actually, you know, revived the dog. And then after several days of being there in IV, I mean, the dog had actually recovered.
2: We've been seeing more and more cases of dogs ingesting drugs left around in the homes that they're living side by side with humans. Uh, I've never heard of these so many issues before. Do you think it was always happening, or it's just now the potency of the drugs that oftentimes are left out uh, so that a dog might come over, sniff it, and then ingest it.
3: Yeah, yeah, I I think it's part of that, and I also think it's the uh, degree of dog ownership as well. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people who will have dogs, and, you know, I mean, again, the the animals who are relinquished to the shelters, you know, in huge proportion, uh, you know, you have people who, I mean, that's like security for some individuals, some of these dogs, so They'll specifically be around environments where this stuff is, so I don't think it would be uncommon for them to be ingesting it. I mean, at minimums, they're smelling it. So, I mean, that would be the equivalent of them ingesting things.
2: Our numbers one 800 This is the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC. Uh, you know, we have one of our guardian angels, Nancy, named Zeke, who uh, for years he lived in the projects and he had parrots. And I remember one time I was there off Gun Hill Road, And the parrot was saying, take your hat off, take your hat off, take your hat off. And I was wondering, who the hell is this telling me to take my beret off, right? But parrots have been known to basically speak. And a lot of people have had parrots for that specific reason. They're so popular that apparently there's a sitter service for
3: parrots? (laughs) Yes, sir. So well so this the story was um focusing on this um you know woman who's going away for a 10 day uh vacation and she's looking for a uh, in in home sitter for a very, you know a very specific type of bird like a, it's a Senegal parrot so you know it's uh you know it has specific types of needs but you know, she was stating that the people she previously used, they're no longer available. So she had put an ad out uh, basically soliciting individuals who might, you know, have uh, some sort of uh, ability to do this. And she was saying that she wanted to pay $20 for a 90-minute visit um, on a daily basis. So that worked out to like $13 for an hour. Now, meanwhile, the going rates that that are being charged is anywhere from 30 to 55 to potentially higher. So she's trying to figure out like why is it that it's, you know, she can't find anyone for this amount of money. And yeah, you know, so so that's really like the issue. Like she's trying to pay this smaller amount of money to have this and and trying to find out like why no one wants to come over for 90 minutes a day at $20. But what I thought was really funny, you know, the, like she was being interviewed and she said well, it's not just like watching a dog or a cat, which I personally found offensive <laughs> because I think you should there's a lot of care that you, that needs to go into watching any animal because they're all, you know, very individual and they're all going to be missing their owners, but I thought it was a little bit odd that she chose to single the dogs and cats out.
2: Our number is eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Now you said it was a called a Senegal parrot?
3: Yeah, a Senegal
2: parrot. Now, I spent a day in Dhaka in Senegal before I went on to Cape Town in South Africa where we have guardian angels, and uh, they speak French there. So I wonder if the Senegal parrots are born speaking French, English, or whatever tribal language uh, is unique to the people in Senegal.
3: Apparently, these parrots talk a lot. So you have one thing in common.
2: <laughs> I took French in junior high school. I can't barely remember a word. Maybe que uh, queton fait fertile," and that's about it. All right, two things. Now I notice that there's a lot of stories of late of mass deaths of fish, of birds, and even cows. Let's let's take them one by one millions, I mean, not thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dead fish are washing up on the shores of Australia. So Australia is the size of the United States, even though it's a continent. So uh, if you travel, let's say, from Sydney, the largest city on the uh, what would be the East Coast, their West Coast is Perth, which would be like uh, where Los Angeles is. There's almost nothing in the middle of the country. It's the outback. But they have gorgeous coasts and a lot of fishing. So why are so many fishing dying? The fish dying on both coasts?
3: Yeah, so in Australia what's happening is uh, these deaths are being attributed to the fact that, uh, you know, they have this, you know, hot weather that's overtaken the area and the flooding that's occurred – it's sent so much water that it's actually depleting the oxygen levels. So basically the the fish have just very quickly, um, you know, they've suffocated. And it's, uh, uh, what you said, it's millions of fish. <clears throat> so in these areas where, you know, all of a sudden now these, so now it, 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 but the problem goes beyond this because now you have not only these fish that are dead, it's that there's other, Um, you know, underwater creatures that are relying on them, you know, to eat. So now those are suffering. And then you also have living fish that are there that also can't get to the surface. The water is actually being polluted by the bodies because they don't have enough resources to come in and actually, um, you know, sweep up all the carcasses. Like when you see the visuals, it looks like the rivers are literally just filled with fish, like there's nothing else. People are trying to help out the best they can. They're coming by the rivers with skimmers, like manually doing this, and the stench from from these dead fish. So it's affecting everything, what's just happened here. So, I mean, the fallout will probably continue to be felt for a while.
2: On that back-to-back, belly-to-belly, bird flu is killing off the world's birds. Is that an over-exaggeration?
3: You know what? Okay, yes, I'm going to say it is. And, you know, and, and it, this partly shows, in my opinion, where there's like these hierarchies of which animals are considered important and which ones aren't. This story that I was reading that was written, it was so very, very clearly one-sided because it was referring to clearly the fact that there's this element of, um, you know, bird flu, as they're dubbing it, which affects, um, you know, more or less um, what would be, you know, in the food chain – but because of contamination, as they put it, which means like the inability of the people who are you know using animals for food to contain any potential viruses that occur, that it is getting into the wild, and then as a result, there's an effect on you know uh, things like condors and whooping cranes. So what's really again, what's really interesting is it's taking the fact that. It's now affecting what we would consider really very glamorous and beautiful birds. And there's only a few hundred of them that exist. And obviously, there's a reason to be concerned about them. But that to the point that there's 33 currently 33 billion chickens alive who, according to the way this person's structuring it, like, you know, stating it. They would have no problem with completely getting rid of if it meant that we could save the rest of the birds. So I think it just shows there's really no concern whatsoever given to anything, chickens, turkeys, anything that we eat. They're really in trouble at this point.
2: Mm. Our number is one eight hundred eight four 848 wabc And speaking of uh, things that we eat, cows are used to produce dairy products. And then eventually, when uh, they get older or they're no longer able to be milked to produce the dairy products, they're sent to the slaughterhouse. But a week ago, there was the image of what was mass slaughter. 18,000 cows that were underneath what looked like uh, just a Quonset hut. And Lord only knows uh, how they were just crammed together. There was an explosion. I think there was only one employee at the facility at the time for 18,000 cows. Mm -hmm. And all the cows, I believe, were killed by the explosion or were incinerated as a result of the fire. That's like unconscionable 18,000 cows.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely disgusting, and it's just completely emblematic of... You know, how little concern is given to living creatures. I mean, what what was stated was that, uh, oh, it was a faulty machinery they had. Basically, they weren't up to code on what they had. But beyond that, there's literally no codes that exist within these facilities to account for the fact that if there's a massive fire, everything that exists within that facility is trapped and will just burn to death. There's no sprinklers. There's, no, there's nothing that would open the gates to free them in the event of fire. It's set up so that they'll all burn alive. Like, that is, I mean, that says it all to me right there. And well, this, well, this company will not be held accountable. First
2: off, when you ever look at these industrial uh, farms for harvesting animals, because that's really what they're doing. They're harvesting the cows for how much dairy they can get from them and then eventually slaughtering them for the meat. They have no room to move in their pens. They, they use machines to suck out their feces and their urine and their waste. So basically, they're decompartmentalized. They can't move. You can imagine the smell, the noise. They live a life. Uh, basically, they might as well be in a box. And then if something goes wrong, there's no escape whatsoever.
3: All indications are that when they realized the one employee was safe, that that was the end of their attempt to extricate any other any other creature. Their, their job was done at that point. That's the problem right there.
2: And then, and you've shown me these films which just break your heart, the cow produces a calf, and right away, the cow naturally has the maternal instinct, like Whiskers does with her now, her litter, her cats, to take care of them. The cow wants to take care of the calf, and a truck comes by, and a uh, employee runs out and picks up the calf, puts it in the back of the truck, and drives it away. And you see the cow crying and running after the truck, and you say, how the hell can we do that to these 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 creatures of God?
3: I I have no idea, none.
2: And they say, well, we have to do it to separate the calves. What, to make veal? I mean, let, let, let's be honest. That's that's the purpose. I mean, and that.
3: and also the the other thing is is milk. I mean, there's no reason to continue have having milk when you can have almond milk or you can have soy milk. I mean, it just the need doesn't exist anymore to have to raise animals just to be abused and used and killed. Like, it just doesn't exist, and it's healthier to not do it. So the question is, why are we not doing it?
2: Now, you would think there would be a requirement that if you have a farm in which you're raising animals for the products that can be created uh, from their life or for the slaughterhouse, that there would be the requirement that you have cameras inside so that people can see how the animals are being treated.
3: (laughs) That's never happening.
2: Well, I think it's something that you and I should push for because uh, if you're going to continue to house and raise animals in this capacity, which is completely inhumane, we have a right to see it. I think the more people see these things, the more they are repulsed, the more they will move to make sure that people cannot just uh, put profit. Uh, above uh, what is the humane treatment of all these different kind of animals.
3: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, when you see it, I mean, that's as quickly as you would understand. I mean, it's true that there's, there's a reason why so much is spent on, you know, PR campaigns to really distance individuals from, like, what it is that's happening behind the scenes, because that's really the name of the game, to hide what's happening. So you're right, the more you showcase it, And there should be no reason that you shouldn't see it. I mean, that should just be basic consumer protectionism. Like, why can't we see it?
2: Now, during the Mayro campaign, I was uh, uh, attacked by the Daily News because I said I wanted to eliminate a lot of the larger animals from the zoos, particularly the Bronx Zoo, because even though they have more space than the other uh, local zoos, there's really not enough space at all for some of these large uh, animals, especially like the elephants. And since... You brought to my attention the zoos around the world that have inhumanely treated the animals that are housed there, most recently in Puerto Rico. That's part of the United States. They they were roasting the animals. They were having parties and taking the animals that were supposed to be there for people to come look at and, and having parties and roasting them. And then we see in Karachi in Pakistan, which is a size, the city of New York City, that these animals are, like, dying on them, especially the elephants.
3: Yeah, so the the most recent, um, you know, story that's come to light is, so this um, one elephant named Noor Jahan, it's a 17-year-old elephant, uh, just passed away. Now, it was living in a zoo in Karachi. It was with three other elephants that were brought about, like, a decade ago, and apparently the conditions in these um uh, in the zoo is it's it's known to be so bad they've been trying to close this uh down for a long time and this is like even like international pressure on uh this zoo in particular and this elephant now again it's 17 years old and for i don't know how many months now it's it started being um you know observed that it was leaning against a tree just to stand uh you know it was like sort of um shaking and then ultimately it fell into this like little pool that they had set up for it and at that point because it was it was unable to stand on its own and for i don't know how many days it was lying in the pool now apparently when the elephants lie down that's extremely bad for them and it was lying in this pool by the time they got to it were able to like lift it out and then start treatment on it even doing the treatment just to assess the situation was too traumatic for it and this elephant um died now, keeping in mind, too, that it was only 17, and usually they live between 60 and 70 years of age, so this was an extreme case of something going very wrong, so now at this point, there's only one elephant that's remaining there, and they're trying to remove this um, elephant into a more appropriate um, you know, sanctuary, and now because it's the only one, they're also saying that, look, now this elephant's going to be mourning, and it's going to be by itself, so you know beyond the fact that this one just died we you know there's the effort to try to get this other one free
2: and they're resisting it
3: they're they're resisting it e- again they're resisting it even with all of this bad attention that just came to light about how how badly they were clearly not caring for this elephant to the point where it perished at this young age and they still have the right to hold on to they have the right to refuse it given what they've just done like that i, I don't again i don't understand how that's legal
2: well It's uh, hard-headedness, it's stubbornness, it's selfishness, and it's not in the best interest of this uh, gorgeous animal, these elephants and other uh, animals. Anyway, when we come back, we'll be going to your phone calls. This is the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. If you want to hear any of the previous broadcasts, just go to the podcast at wabcradio.com.
1: WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Slewa Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa.
2: To the phones we go, it's Joe and Jericho. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Giuseppe.
0: Well, my buddy Curtis and Nancy, I'm going to be quick. I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire. First of all, first of all, We have to stop the killing of all these animals, six million dogs and cats, and it's unacceptable. It's get on the case with uh, animal care and control. Also, my solution is we encourage them. We need to uh, waive the fees for American veterans and anyone at this point. And if you're walking around with a dog, less chance of being jumped. And let me tell you something quick. I was on my way to the VA hospital this past Friday, On the M15 bus up First Avenue, a psycho started banging on the side of the bus, the front of the bus. He tried to get in. And I came out of my wheelchair. This American Marine brought my American Marine mark of 100 pounds and broke a heavy cane and put it inside the door. And I said, you're not getting in. And he saw me and the dog, and he pounded some more. And he saw me and the dog. I said to the driver, don't open the door no matter what. And I yelled, you're not getting in. The dog barked at him. I called to the 13 passengers in the back. Nobody even called 911. They all must have been related to Frank Morano. But the bottom line is he backed down and then two cops grabbed him. He started disrobing. This is an Alto Mezzo Jordan, high noon, midday this past Friday.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, Joe, I see that all the time. I'm dealing uh, with a, a two-pack Shakur wannabe in the middle of 86 in Lexington, two nights in a row I've had to take him out of the middle of the street there. Uh, it's the emotionally disturbed. are everywhere. But that makes a lot of sense, Nancy, with six million cats and dogs, six million dogs being uh, executed, euthanized, destroyed in shelters every year. People are always looking for security. Let's face it. Dogs are very good at doing that uh, if uh, they're, the, the right, uh, they're from the right background.
3: Yeah, and and also I think there are people who would have pets in their house, and and there are landlords who, for whatever reason, will say, oh, we don't want to have, oh, you know, we don't want to have a pet there, when they can just have, you know, maybe like a pet deposit. And if you have a cat, obviously it's it's good because it'll keep away any rodents. You're not going to get any calls from your tenant with that. <laughs> and then if it's a dog, uh, to you know, to that point, it's like with the security. It's like even internally, but also especially leaving your house. You know, you have a dog with you, I'm sure it's a deterrent to a lot of people.
2: Well, you and I, we were walking around last night before the heavy rains came down, and we saw an incredible amount of uh, empty uh, retail space, ground floor buildings. I mean, the whole block. I mean, it's really getting bad now. Like, the whole block of retail space is empty. I guess uh, they couldn't pay the lease, or the lease was up. And you said to me, boy, this should be perfect for the overflow of uh, surrendered dogs and cats and other animals. And I can't, for the life of me, understand why the city isn't utilizing and, and, that additional and this space. Is ridiculous.
3: And this is ridiculous because this is something that the city has already put into motion by saying we want to ban the sale of the breeder dogs in the in the pet shops. But like usual, they drag their feet on a good idea and they're letting this continue for a long time. And then after that, what they'll do is they'll give uh, maybe some sort of a stipend to a place that wants to showcase a shelter dog instead of realizing they need to do that now to save the lives right now. If they started doing that in those buildings, everyone who's walking by all the train stations every day, I mean, that's how you see these animals. You fall in love with them because you see their faces. You want to bring them home with you. They're going to be dying in the shelters because you never see their face.
2: That's absolutely correct. Uh, let's go to Tony in Astoria. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Tone. Could you hear me, Curtis? Loud and clear, Tone.
0: Yeah, I just want to make a fast comment because, I, you know, um, I have a ledge behind where I live, the house where I live, and we're infested with rats front and back. What I've seen is the crows. They go up on a garage, it's like a perch. They perch there and then they dive bomb right into the rat hole, grab the rats. They don't kill it there. They take it and they put it in their claws and they fly away with them. And I'm like, man, I didn't know crows are also good at killing these dirty little devils. Yep. And they are used, these rats out here. Yep. I live in East New York and Red Hook, Brooklyn. So. Well I, mean, I tell you I tell
2: you I, 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 I tell you what Tony, even though I was not made the rat czar by Eric Adams, even though I offered it to to do it for free, you give your information uh, to um uh, Ken here, and I'll come visit because I'm spending a lot of time in Astoria now along with Nancy and our whole team uh, to beat Caban, who's running for city council, the uh, socialists against our candidate, Kelly Klingman, the Republican. Uh, So I think, uh, Nancy, we could stop on over and take a look at the problem. I do know crows uh, do that. My father, when he was a a child in Chicago, in Sherman Park, he went to a public school, and he had Jimmy the Crow, who would uh, perch himself right on his shoulder and wait out on the windowsill of the schoolroom until uh, my father Chester was finished, and then he would accompany him on his way home. And he talked about how... Oftentimes, crows would attack the mice or, or the rats uh, along the way. So that's another effective method that Mother Nature has created to keep the rat population at bay. So we got to stop in on Tony, Nancy, and check out his problem because there's infestation now in all five boroughs. It's out of control. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Ken, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC Ken.
1: Hi, the male parrot is probably thinks the woman is his wife.
2: That's uh, that's Steve from Manhattan. I, mean, I not uh, I I pick up this guy's voice for years. He, he goes back to Bob Grant and it's like instead of just being Steve from Manhattan and uh making a comment or asking a question, he waits for hours. I, I get him every time, Nancy. Every time. I may not hear that well when you're talking to me or other people are talking to me, but I could pick this guy up while two subway trains are going north and south. <sighs> Let's go to Robert in Suffolk. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Robert.
0: Hi, Curtis and Nancy. I have an idea for the rat problem. Managed feral colonies. You can get a lot of support and funding through the guardian angels and other community groups, and also have volunteers that will help to trap, spay, neuter, return them, and also feed them. And we can help to get the rats killed by the cats from existing colonies, cats that are already out there.
2: Well, that rabbit is a common-sense approach that has worked even before they had the term managed cat colonies. Nancy, if you could run it down for Robin and everybody else there, what are the problems that those who run cat colonies run across on a daily basis, no matter what neighborhood they're in?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously the the, the biggest problem is always there's some degree of trespassers, almost always. So wherever they're living someone has access to the property, ownership of the property. Um surprisingly a lot of the the city and the state agencies who you think would be really super on board with working with you because you've been doing this which clearly has such a solution. And again, you know, it's like the community outreach, you know, it's like there's no one ever there to help. So, you know, when you're, you know, ultimately doing these things, you're, you know, you won't have any rights to the cats, if all of a sudden the person who owns the property says, Get off my property, you're a trespasser. And once that happens, they can close you off from taking care of the cats. And then, you know, short, I mean, then it becomes like trying to just get attention to it very quickly before these animals starve. And that is constantly, constantly the problem. They have no rights. It, becoming part of a managed colony, this is also something the city encourages you to do. If you spay and neuter, register the colonies as managed colonies, okay, that's great. You just created a system to register the colonies. Okay, now you've got to give them protection. That's where they drop the ball. They don't protect these registered colonies. They don't come out there and help you when these colonies are under attack by someone.
2: Yeah, and uh, you remember I was dealing with the Guardian Angels on a drug-dealing matter on Bay Street in Victory Boulevard which is still a hot spot for drugs in the north shore of uh, Staten Island. And at the time, the borough president was uh, Jimmy Otto, Republican conservative. And I was meeting with the local police from the 120th precinct at his borough president's office there. And I mentioned that his neighbors had complained to us that there was some kind of development in the forested area across the street from his own apartment, his own home. And remember, they were trying to remove the cat colonies that were being taken care of by the women. Yeah. And these city agencies didn't give a crap. They just came in with their bulldozers. They just started destroying the cat houses. They just started, hey, well, we have orders here. We're we're moving these cat colonies out. We don't give a damn. And I say to Jimmy Otto, you have the power to stop this. And remember all we got was lip service lip
3: service oh yeah and the and the other thing is too when you whenever we've been in any neighborhood where they talk about the explosion of when did you start to see the rat population explode, oh, right when they broke ground on this development it's it goes hand in hand, so if you know that's going to happen and you already have the solution there, what are you doing
2: well it's incredible that some of these developers or people who are responsible for housing facilities, are more concerned about what they call stray cats that are probably part of a colony than they are about the rats, the mice, and the rodents, who, if you don't have the, quote, stray cats around, will just proliferate, grow, build burrows right into the building, into the basement, into the walls, will infest the whole area because, again, I don't think people realize that a rat, a typical rat, their life lasts for just one year. Some will make it to two years, but the average lifespan of a rat is only a year. And in that time period, a female rat can have as many as seven, eight litters, uh, eight to nine rats a litter. And you could see how easily the population could explode If you do not have a deterrent to the development of rats, uh, to the uh, ability that the rats have where only two rats can become 128 rats within just one year's time.
3: And, And definitely I would say it's a rule of thumb that you have to presume that what is being used to help eradicate the rat problem is probably going to be the most toxic and the worst for the environment and the worst for the people living in the area because that's not the concern of the people building the building. So the people who live in the area really need to be clued on to what's going on. Like They have no problem dropping poisons in the whole area for a very long time when they could do something that's eco-friendly and won't be poisoning your neighborhood.
2: That's why when the mayor keeps uh, talking about rats, he's obsessed with rats, he's afraid of rats, he keeps saying... We're going to have a war on rats. We're going to eliminate rats. Oh, hold on! You will never eliminate rats. You got to start from that premise. You will never eliminate rats and mice and rodents. So let's start in trying to figure out how we can contain them, and uh, in in essence, create a way so that uh, you can limit the population. There are methods of birth control for all different kind of rats and all different kind of rodents uh, and rats and mice and everything else in life. And yet they don't put the money or the resource in it. That would be a way to limiting their population growth and containing them.
3: Yeah, I mean, and at the heart of all this stuff, too, is to make sure that the population doesn't needlessly reproduce. I mean, the end result is there's a lot of suffering of living creatures that doesn't need to happen if any of this was approached intelligently it's 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 irresponsible it's unacceptable to be doing this
2: let's go to robert in pearl river the irish riviera there in rockland county your turn to be heard on the animal welfare edition rob
1: hi curtis how are you doing i have uh i heard that the the uh, guinea pigs he's going to eliminate them i have a rabbit i wonder if that was illegal in the boroughs many wrecks of a beautiful. Uh, Velveteen rabbit. I don't know. Um, I hope they don't do that. People need to have these and, and uh, you know, take care of them,
2: adopt them. Uh, beautiful rabbits. Now, bunnies. How many rabbits do you have, Robert, in Pearl River? I just I just have one. Uh, he's, you know,
1: big. They shed twice a year. I had another one who lived over 10 years. He had a cancer. I love that one to death. Spent four thousand on him uh, with X-rays, but he had a, a thymoma, which is a tumor, like in his chest. But it was uh, in his age; he was probably like eighty years old. But so this one's about four years old.
2: What, I love them. I think they're great. What is it you like about the rabbit? With the opportunity to have other pets, why were you so attracted to rabbits?
1: Well, I like dogs and cats. Being that I live in an apartment, you know, rabbit was more easier, and uh, they, they allowed the rabbit, since he doesn't uh, bark or make a lot of noise, so it was loud. Uh, and uh, he's like a combination of a dog and a cat. Uh, they're very, very affectionate animals. They're very unique. They're pretty, um, you know, docile. Uh, they're good with children. They, they they do require care, though. I mean, it's a 10-year commitment, but they're they're really great animals. A lot of people don't know about them. Uh nutrition is pretty easy, so not very expensive to have them. Uh they're 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 herbivores, you know, they eat plants only, so just plant material.
2: Well I'm sure Indian. Eric Adams yeah. would love them. They're they're natural vegans, right? Yeah, well I don't know, that guy
1: something. I, I really think uh, <laughs> that you uh you won the election. I, I wonder if there was fiction. I the guy mentions about I like sliced onions. His yeah. IQ must be. Yeah, well,
2: I, I I will tell you this, Robert. I lost Fair and Square. It wasn't even close. So there's no, uh, there was no election tampering uh, or rigging of the election. Uh, we can't always claim when you lose. Oh, it stole the election. You know, after a while, it's our old hat. Let's move on. Move on. Uh, he'll have a chance to run again. Uh, who knows? Maybe for the animals, I give it a second shot. Right? For the animals. The animals. Yeah. Now, Nancy, if people want to continue to get in touch with you to continue this conversation, how can they do so?
3: Well, they can go to guardianangels.org and the Animal Protection tab, or they can email me, nancy at guardianangels.org.
2: And remember, for all your family and friends and others that are interested in animal welfare, you have now dozens uh, of these one-hour radio animal welfare shows Uh, You just go to the podcast at wabcradio.com. And now the video edition once a week, half-hour exclusive to WABC. In order to access it, you go to the WABC YouTube channel. You type in Red Apple Media, Red Apple Media. You'll see eight episodes up. The ninth will be posted this Wednesday, and you will actually see Whiskers, delivering six kittens, all of whom would have been dead had Nancy not rescued whiskers like she and so many others do on a regular basis from animal care and control shelters, uh, wherever they may be, wherever they're listening to us. So, uh, again, uh, just prepare. They're going to be a whole slew of animal stories, so same time, same place uh, next week, Nancy. All
3: right, thank you. Have a good night, everyone.